Welcome to episode 11 of the Canada Club, the exclusive Canada's Pinball podcast for contributors to the show. And I'm going to do something a little bit different on this episode because I think this edition, I'm going to say something that I think is really, really important. And I hope all of you who contribute, and there are 149 people that contribute to Canada's Pinball podcast on a monthly basis, I want to give a shout out to Dave S., JG, James G, Nick S, Kevin O, Matt Gambit 3113, and Christian R. You're the new contributors to Canada's Pinball Podcast in September, so thank you so much. But here's what I want to do on this club episode. I want to let everybody listen to this. And this is the only time I'm going to do this. I'm going to let those people who don't contribute in on an episode of Canada's Pinball Podcast, the club edition. And the reason I'm doing that is this episode and what I'm about to say, I think is really, really important. And you know, on my Canada Club episodes, I like to go a little bit deeper. This is the only time I'm going to do it. So if you're contributing as a club member, don't worry. You're now not losing what you're contributing for. This is the only time we're going to do it. And it's because this topic means a lot to me. And the topic I want to talk about on this episode of the Canada Club is this. I want to talk about how the enemy of progress can sometimes be goodwill. And what I mean by that, when we have goodwill for a company or goodwill for people that we know in the pinball community, goodwill for people who are designers and artists and coders and manufacturers, sometimes that goodwill keeps us from giving people the right kind of feedback. And I call this the Jar Jar Binks effect. And you know what I mean by the Jar Jar Binks effect? It is how did everybody who worked on Star Wars Episode One? how did everybody on the production crew, on the set, how did nobody go to George Lucas and say, maybe you should rethink Jar Jar Binks. Maybe this is not working. And the Jar Jar effect is a really interesting phenomenon. It happens when there is so much support for somebody and something that everybody's afraid to give their honest opinion about it. And I'm seeing the Jar Jar effect right now happen in pinball in two areas. And I think everyone is scared to kind of voice how they really feel and give their opinion. I'm seeing it happen with the Godzilla art package and I'm seeing it happen with the Halloween pinball machine. And I know both of these companies, both of these companies, both Spooky and Stern, have a tremendous amount of goodwill. And they've earned it. And they've done a lot of things in the past that we really love. And they've built a following and a community that has a lot of support. Now the problem becomes, if you try to say something that goes against that support, you get attacked. You get silenced. And I'm really afraid that that's starting to happen more and more in pinball right now. It's almost as if certain people in the pinball world have immunity. That there is no way to give them any feedback. That there is nothing they can do that is wrong. And I want to talk about that on this episode. And I know this is not a popular topic. Because if I bring this up and I start to chip away at some of the invincibility of these people and these companies that that is going to paint me in an unpopular light. But as you know, Canada's Pinball Podcast has never shied away from sharing just what I'm feeling about what's going on in pinball. And I think if I'm feeling this and I'm sensing some of this, then some of you might be sensing some of this and nobody ever gives you a voice. 
And that's always been the position of my show is that there is always that feeling deep down in the gut that sometimes people want to bury because they can't take it anywhere. And a couple things happened over the past week that I think brought this to the surface. We saw the Godzilla game. The game shoots amazingly well. The game is probably Keith Elwin's greatest game. It's one of the most packed games ever by Stern Pinball. And Zombietti put in our package in the game that has people very divided. So I want to talk about that and how we got there. And could there have been a way for Stern Pinball to maybe to maybe figure out a way to please both parties. I wanna talk about how we got there and how do you land on a Godzilla art package that is very bright, it's very colorful, but it's not like anything I've seen in the Godzilla world and if that was a correct decision or a mistake to take such liberty in interpreting Godzilla artwork this way. I wanna talk about that and I'm friends with Zombietti and I think the detail is there, I think the hard work is there, but I want to talk about it and I don't want to like brush it under the rug and make this a topic we can't discuss. And then I want to talk about Spooky Pinball's game Halloween because this is a game that came out at the right time. There was a lot of FOMO to get your hands on one. It's a game that nobody saw any gameplay footage. It's a game that nobody played before 1250 were sent to distributors. And now that the game is starting to be played, I've played it. I've noticed some things that need to be addressed, and they're not little things. They are very big head-scratcher things when it comes to the code and how the theme is being integrated into this pinball machine. And I'm also noticing, if you start to bring up questions about this game, you get personally attacked right away. Go into the Halloween thread. And look at what people are saying about me because I question the animations in the game and I question that insert, that hedge multi-ball insert in which the insert does not carry over the entire word multi-ball. When it lights up, it says hedge multi-ba. Okay, so I don't want to spend $9,000 and see hedge multi-ba. I want to spend $9,000 and see hedge multi-ball. But my ability to voice some concerns about that about the lack of movie clips in the game, about how the game, when you're playing it, it stays on an animation for way too long. You don't feel like you're progressing through the movie itself. I want to be able to talk about these things without being attacked, without being insulted. And I'm going to talk about these two games in a way that's not personally attacking Zombietti or Spooky Pinball, but I just want to be able to have a conversation about these issues because these are real issues and people are discussing them. And I just feel this overwhelming pressure not to talk about them. That because Zombietti has goodwill, because Spooky Pinball has goodwill, we're not supposed to say how we might really, really be feeling about this stuff. That we just have to give them a pass. So let me start with Godzilla. Let me start with Godzilla. Now we know that Spooky Pinball really wanted to make this game. We know that Spooky Pinball, Chuck and Bug were the biggest Godzilla fans ever. And we also know that if you look at Spooky Pinball and you look at their trajectory, they were definitely heading down a road where they were gonna make Godzilla Pinball. Now, do I think Spooky Pinball has the capability to make a Godzilla Pinball machine as good as what Keith Elwin just made? Absolutely not. They're not there yet. They do not have the resources or the skill set yet to deliver the game that Stern Pinball just put out into the market. And Keith Elwin crushed it. 
The mechs are amazing. The flow is amazing. The gameplay is amazing. Everything on the screen is amazing. The only thing that's dividing people is the artwork. So I want to talk about that. I want to talk about how everything else fell into place for Godzilla, but the artwork, which is really colorful, looks a lot like Ninja Turtles and Avengers sort of got together and had a baby called Godzilla. How did they land there? Now, if you're approaching this art package and you Google image Godzilla, and you just go and look at all the different Godzilla illustrated artwork that's out there, there's a lot of it. There's a lot of it. And you could take Godzilla in a lot of directions. And the majority of it, right, the majority of the Godzilla artwork is not this super bright green interpretation of Godzilla. So right there, if you're going to make that decision to take him in that direction, you're going to go in a direction that is uncommon for this license. Now, as a marketer, I have to ask myself, is it the smartest decision to take something people know and love and to bring it in a direction that's not very popular? Because if this was the popular way to showcase Godzilla, we would see more of it. And the other part that's interesting, if you just want to see what Godzilla might have looked like if Spooky Pinball had maintained the license, they were working with an artist who's also well known for his Godzilla artwork. And that artist is Jeff Zorno, Z-O-R-N-O-W. And if you Google image Jeff Zorno Godzilla, because Jeff Zorno did the artwork for Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle, and you see what Spooky's plan was. They were moving in the direction to get Jeff's Godzilla out into the world one day. It's never going to happen, but you can see his interpretation of the big King of the Monsters himself. And it's much darker. It's much more grayscale. There's much more contrast in the game. We can't go back. We can't unwind time. We can't undo this. It's hard to have the conversation about the artwork with Godzilla because we know Toho approved it. So the license holder of Godzilla approved it. But as I've heard from many people, Toho approves a lot. From a technical standpoint, the Zombie Eddie artwork is still great. From a technical standpoint, the artwork is still phenomenal. It's just whether or not making Godzilla super bright and everything in the game super bright was the right direction to go in. There's something about it that immediately jumps out and is a little bit jarring and a little bit unsettling because it's all so bright. It's like every single thing happening on the playfield is happening in direct sunlight. And I think Godzilla's a little bit darker. I think Godzilla calls for a little bit more contrast, right, between his dark body and that bright blue beam he fires and the monsters and the fire. There's just something about it. And then if you think about this is Toho Godzilla and we're representing Godzilla over all of these previous decades, there's something about it that feels like it should be a little bit more old school feeling. I mean, I'm looking at all these Japanese Godzilla posters over the years. There's just something about it where it's just very bright, it's very colorful, and it's just unlike anything I've seen or relate to when it comes to Godzilla. And that's the main point I want to make here, is I know that Zombietti is probably the most talented pinball artist we've ever had. His work is incredible. And we know when he takes on a project that he wants to put his spin on it. And that's the point I want to talk talk about is at what point at what point when you're an artist or a designer or you're Greg Ferris and you're standing over this thing at what point do you allow your artist to have more freedom than the fan base wants that artist to have and when you love a property you don't want to see it taken in a direction that makes it unrelatable to you and I think that's the big gamble they made here. Now, I know the games are going to sell out. I know they're not going to have a problem moving units. 
But deep down inside, an art package should reflect what you relate to with the property. And it should emotionally make you excited when you see it. And I'm just not sure that if you're a diehard Godzilla fan and you look at this, that you feel like it nailed it. Now look at Guns N' Roses artwork and what Dane Henry Jr. did. He represented Guns N' Roses in skeleton form, fully illustrated skeleton form. And everything in that game looks just like the Guns N' Roses skeleton forms that we grew up with. And so you look at the game and that's it. That's the Slash I know. That's the Axel I know. That's the Duff I know. That's the Appetite for Destruction monster I know. So everything there pays homage in a perfect way to the property you love. And if you look at Godzilla right now, and I think that's the debate that rages on. If I love Godzilla, does this look like the Godzilla I know and love? And for most of the people who love Godzilla, the answer is no. So even saying this, I'm like nervous. Like, are they going to be mad at me? Are they going to be disappointed in me? Am I not going to buy the game because of this? The answer is I'm still buying this game. I still think the game looks like one of Stern's best ever. And I bet when I'm playing the game, I won't really notice it. I just wish there was nothing, nothing that divided people who love Godzilla when they look at the game. And at these price points, those expectations are there. Like we should have high expectations that when a company puts a property together, that the art package doesn't distract us from why we love the property, that the code has everything in it that we want to see, right? That the gameplay and the mechs are bringing that theme to life. We should be demanding these things. And when these things fall somewhat short, I just want to let you know that it is okay for you to voice that you might not be in love with a certain aspect of the game and you're going to get attacked and you're going to get challenged, and it might be the unpopular opinion to have. And what if, like, Zombietti's art style just wasn't the right style for this game? It's okay, they tried it, they tried it, and this is what we got, and maybe a different art style would have suited Godzilla better. And I don't know, right? I don't know what it would have looked like otherwise, but I do know, I do know that they took a chance, and they went in a direction that has people divided. And my wish is that we don't get here again. I don't think we should be here. This isn't a piece of artwork you're putting in the MoMA or a museum. Like you should not have so much freedom where what you do with a license could divide the audience that loves the property. I'm sorry. And this is where Greg Ferris needs to step up and say, look, we need to bring in Godzilla experts and maybe consult some of them on the art direction we're going in. And did they do that? See, that's the question I wonder about is like, did they know? Who did they ask within the Godzilla fan world? Is this how he should look? Is this how he should feel? Is this how you would bring a Toho Godzilla world to life? I would have loved it if they used Charlie Emery as a consultant. That would have been such good PR for Stern. Like we're making the game. We're going to bring in Charlie Emery as a consultant to make sure we get all the elements right. Why not? You're not really competing with Charlie Emery on this game. You know that. They never would have done it. That would have been an amazing thing to do. Knowing that you had his dream license, it's a tiny little industry. It's a tiny little industry. Stern can make more games in three weeks than Spooky can all year. So it would not have hurt them at all to ask Charlie for his opinion on this game. Like, did we nail it? Is this how Toho Godzilla should look? But I just want to be able to like have these conversations in a way that can be productive and we can do it as adults and not attack each other. I'm not attacking Zombie Yeti. I'm still buying the game. 
I just think this is a conversation I need to cover as the world's number one and favorite pinball podcast. Now, artwork can't change once it's been decided upon. So this is it. Like, this is the Godzilla package, and it's not going to change. Now, one thing that can change in a game is software. Now, Spooky Pinball's Halloween game, another game that came out this year that had a lot of fanfare. There was a lot of FOMO. It was the most games Spooky Pinball ever sold, 1,250. A lot of us were wondering, how do you take a horror movie like Halloween with a silent figure like Mike Myers, and how do you translate a scary film into a pinball machine? And then they revealed the game. The artwork was beautiful. It was very colorful. Like, very colorful for a Halloween movie, right? Very colorful for a Halloween theme integrated game. And we didn't see much gameplay footage. Jack Danger played it a little bit. And now the games are shipping to customers. I got to play it for a while. And now it's quite clear that something is happening in the Halloween world. And that is this it's clear that they don't have that many assets from the movie. And so I'm just wondering if this is gonna end up being another Willy Wonka in which we don't really get clips from the movie with voice actors from the movie synced up on the LCD screen. This is a great example of why the LCD screen can be great when you have all the assets, but an LCD screen actually works against you when you don't, because then it becomes how do we fill up the space if we don't have clips? And it's clear that Spooky Pinball is relying on animations to carry you through this game. So they need animations to bring you through the Halloween narrative. And go look at the footage of the game. And I was speaking to Ryan, who's doing the animations in this game, and I was like, look, man, you know, I got to be honest. I'm not crazy about all the animations in the game, and I think they would be better served if there were more movie clips mixed in. But this game is going to customers right now. So at what point are we allowed to be a little bit concerned that they might not have the rights to put a lot in this game? And then I see Luke over at Spooky. He said the following. He said the clips range from roughly three to six seconds. With that said, we are absolutely going to request more. Request more? And it's like, it's September. The game is shipping to people. Shouldn't you have all of your assets lined up before you start coding the game? Shouldn't you know everything you can work with? And if you had more, wouldn't they be putting it into the game on day one? And I'm just raising these questions. And you know me, I love Spooky. I'm buying Ultraman. Nothing I'm about to say is going to stop me from supporting Spooky and buying Ultraman. But I don't want my love of Spooky to make me have to bury some issues I see with their game. Because the moment I start doing that, the moment I start holding back some things I'm seeing because they came on my show or I'm friendly with them, that's the moment my show becomes irrelevant. It's the moment you should stop listening to me because then I'm doing favors for people. Then I'm not being objective. And Canada's Pinball Podcast always wants to be above that. I wanna be more objective with these companies and I want to treat them all fairly, right? It's not fair for me to come on and like make fun of AP or P3 Multimorphic and then give Spooky a pass because I like them as people. I do like them as people, but the only way Spooky's going to get better is if each and every one of us gives them constructive feedback on their games. And right now, as I'm seeing it at $9,000, my biggest worry 
and I said this in my Facebook Live and I'll say it again, is the Halloween software is letting the hardware down. The game shoots so well, it really does. It's a blast to shoot. But when I see what's on the screen and how the software in that game is developing and has developed, it's got a long way to go. And this is their first time ever coding a movie into a game. And I think Rick and Morty, Rick and Morty raised the bar for them. I mean, if you loved Rick and Morty, you were getting all of those clips from the Rick and Morty show dropped in perfectly. Those adventures were perfectly integrated into the game. And I'm playing Halloween and I'm seeing these animations frozen on the screen for so long and it's not working. That doesn't work. It doesn't make you feel like you're playing the Halloween movie or you're progressing through much of anything. But their approach, and they've been saying this to me, is they don't want there to be movie clips looping over and over again. I heard that same excuse from Jersey Jack about Willy Wonka. Well, we don't want to show you that over and over again. And I'm here to tell you right now, no, that is the excuse you give when you don't have assets. That's the excuse you give when you don't have the rights to the stuff you want to put in the game. Look at the big Lebowski. Look at Batman 66. It loops stuff over and over again. And it's amazing because that's what I want to see. I don't want to play a game based on my favorite movie and see animations that do nothing that make me feel like this isn't good enough. For $9,000, I think Spooky needs to invest in their software department. They need to get more people on board. They need to make sure these animations are up to the standard of the industry now because they're charging nine dollars to $10,000 for these games. And again, if you want to voice this, you're going to get attacked. If you want to say this isn't good enough, you're going to get attacked. And ultimately, all of us have the ultimate power, right? Because if you don't like it, you don't have to buy it. And I understand that. I absolutely understand that. But right now, I think there are a lot of people with Halloween deposits that are non-refundable. Remember that. These are non-refundable deposits. There are a lot of people that are anxious. There are a lot of people that aren't loving what they're seeing. They can't get out. They can't get their money back. And instead of voicing that they want more in the game, I think this is what's happening. They're falling back on the, well, they're just going to figure it out and put it in. I'm here to tell you right now, when the response is, we're going to request more from the license holder, that doesn't make me feel like their strategy when they were making this game was to put a ton of movie clips in. And I really think the animations are the way they're going to go with this title. And then the question becomes, if you know you don't have access to the stuff you want, to the stuff you know needs to go into a pinball machine to make it work, then maybe don't make that theme. Like, you can't make the Halloween movie like they made Jurassic Park. Like, Stern did not have movie clips, so they went on an all-new Jurassic Park adventure, if you will. But imagine if those Jurassic Park animations, which are pretty damn good by pinball standards, looked like the animations in Halloween. Would it have worked? No, it would not have worked for you. And Stern has way more people and way more resources working on their games, and now they're at the point now where the animations are really, really good in a Stern machine. The animations are amazing in a Jersey Jack pinball machine, and they're paying for that. They are getting what they pay for. And I think at this point, I want to tell Chuck and Luke and Bug and everyone over there, you have the greatest goodwill in pinball. And your prices are also at the point now where people are going to expect to see the quality, not just be on the play field, not just be on the shots, but they also want to see what's up on that screen match the price of the game. And they need to up it. I'm not saying it with anger. 
I'm not saying it to slam them. They just need to get what's on that screen to be better quality. We don't need to be a jerk when we tell them this, but this isn't how you integrate a movie like Halloween into a software package for a game like this. And I'll be the one who takes the arrows in the back. I'll be the one that everyone says, why doesn't Canada just go away? I saw that in the Halloween thread. When I showed the image of the hedge multi-bar, you know what someone responded with? I just hope Canada goes away. Okay, let's just live in a world in which things that don't look right, when things that need to be pointed at are just forgotten, and that's how we get to mediocrity in the world. Now, you want mediocrity for nine to $10,000 pinball machines, or should we get what we're paying for? And I don't care if I become unpopular. I don't care if other shows will be nice and not say this. I don't care. I want to just tell you that these two things and these two topics People love Zombietti. I love Zombietti. People love Spooky Pinball. I love Spooky Pinball. But it doesn't mean that both of them are immune to making mistakes. And when they do make a mistake, I think we just have to find the right constructive and positive way to point it out so they don't do it again. They will learn from this, but they will only learn if we're able to communicate that they didn't quite meet our expectations. And they don't need to apologize and they don't need to go after every single troll because that's the other part that sucks. It's really hard to give constructive feedback because the trolls will just come out and say the artwork sucks or the code sucks or the animations suck, right? And that's the problem is, is when you try to go down this road of giving constructive feedback, you immediately open the door for all the haters to just pile in and say how much it sucks. Now, what I think these companies need to do, and I mean this, I think these companies need to start having some outside people throughout the development of these games. I think they need to have like a board of directors or a panel come in who's under NDA and gives them some feedback as they're making these games. And I'm throwing my name into the ring. I would love to consult on these pinball company machines as they're developing them, not spoiling the releases, not sharing stuff I know. It doesn't have to be Canada, but they need to bring people in who can help guide them a little bit because I think they're all too close to it. I really do. I think they're all too close to it and I think they need some outside perspective and they don't get it until it's too late. And that's the thing, it's like, okay, so you're telling me that the movie studio won't give us any clips or we don't have permission to use clips with voices at the same time. Maybe we shouldn't do this. I know you might love this theme, but maybe we shouldn't do this. And then I'm like, oh, I Google image Godzilla and everything I'm seeing, Jeremy, is like more darker, it's more gray, there's more contrast. Maybe we take this and we just alter it a little bit and I think that's gonna work much better for everybody. You know, just some of that simple feedback along the road. And I just don't think they get it. And I think it would benefit everybody because I think deep down we all know this. Once a pinball machine is made, once it's done, that's it. Like there's usually no chance to fix it. There's no chance to course correct it. And you shouldn't have to. It's not that hard to get all the elements into a pinball machine the way they should be. You're telling me it's that hard to make a game like Big Lebowski? Why is it that hard? If Dutch Pinball can do it, just Barry and Yop can do it and take the Big Lebowski and make it perfectly, why are we still having to compromise? Guns N' Roses is perfect. Pirates of the Caribbean is not. There's no assets in it from the movies we love. I just think for the amount of money these games are, we shouldn't have to compromise stuff. We shouldn't have to look at them and just live with it. 
That's the thing, right? It's not hard. Take a theme that people want. Put mechs on the playfield that reflect what that theme is about. Make artwork that makes people emotionally get excited about the theme they love and make it shoot well and have some good call outs and call it a day. And these companies are making millions of dollars on these products and we shouldn't have to sort of look at these machines and become apologists and make excuses. We should be able to say they nailed it. They nailed it. There is nothing I would change on this game. And here's the part I'm going to end with this. It's all subjective. So some people might think they nailed Godzilla. Some people might think they're nailing Halloween and that's okay. This isn't a very serious topic. It's pinball machines. It's not life and death. Ultimately, as buyers, it's our decision whether or not we want to go in on any of these things. And if you turn off the FOMO, if you turn off the FOMO, you'll be able to see if they really did nail it according to your expectations of the theme. And for those of you on Halloween, I think you guys might be taken by the FOMO because now it's too late. You've already committed and you might not be seeing what you love. And if Ultraman ends up being the better integrated game, I'm not just saying that because I have Ultraman. I keep hearing people saying, well, he's going to slam Halloween and pump Ultraman because he's going to sell his Ultraman. I'm not selling my Ultraman. I am still going to have Godzilla next to Ultraman, next to Guns N' Roses. Those three machines will be in my home. But I want to be able to have this conversation without being attacked. I think this hobby needs to have a place in which we can openly discuss these issues without being attacked. So this is the Canada Club. And for those of you who agree with what I just said or are glad that there's someone out there on the pinball airwaves saying stuff like this, I hope you think about contributing to Canada's Pinball Podcast. I really do. If you go to Patreon under Canada Pinball, I have thousands of people that listen to every single episode of Canada's Pinball Podcast, and we are up to the point where there's 149 Patreon contributors each month. And I know there's so many of you that enjoy this show. You've enjoyed it for years. So please, if you want to show your support, go to Patreon, CanadaPinball at gmail.com, and you'll get more club episodes like this. For those of you in on the club, thank you so much. It means so much to me, Killian and Brenda, that you contribute to the show. And this is it. They are never going to get another club episode like this. I just wanted to tell them what they're missing out on when they're not part of the Canada Club. Everybody, let's get the best pinball machines we can with no compromises, all right? Later. Yeah!